My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Michelle about idiopathic intracranial hypertension. According to the National Eye Institute, idiopathic intracranial hypertension, or IIH, happens when too much cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, the fluid around the brain and spinal cord, builds up in your skull. This puts extra pressure on your brain and on the nerve in the back of your eye, called the optic nerve. Symptoms include headaches, tinnitus or ringing in the ears, temporary blindness, double vision, blind spots, neck and shoulder pain, and peripheral vision loss. There are several different forms of intracranial hypertension, but the form we'll be talking about today is the idiopathic form. Idiopathic meaning, basically, we don't know why this is happening. However, Michelle was involved in a freak accident in 2017. There's no way to know if this incident caused Michelle's intracranial hypertension or merely exacerbated a previously existing condition because she was having headaches prior to this. But in an insane story, Michelle actually had a man fall on her from 30 feet above in a theater. Michelle was sitting in her seat during the intermission of her performance, and a man fell from the balcony above her and landed on the left side of her head and shoulder. And hearing about what happened from Michelle's perspective is wild. Michelle will share with us a ton of fascinating details about her disease itself, how she was diagnosed, and how she manages it. She was also recently diagnosed with Crohn's disease and is in a very frustrating situation where her different doctors are telling her to do different things with her lifestyle to manage her different diseases. And these things are at odds with each other. And it's a perfect example of the frustration of living with multiple chronic illnesses. People often see specialists for each disease, specialists who don't talk to each other, don't compare notes, and leave us, the patients, in a position where we have conflicting information and aren't sure how to move forward. You might know Michelle from the chronic illness community on TikTok as IIH Warriors. As she'll tell us, she started her TikTok in 2019 as a way to shout into the void about her disease hoping to help at least one person get a diagnosis or ease their journey through intracranial hypertension. But she was surprised to find an entire community of people with IIH. And now she's actually raising funds for IIH research. She has an Etsy shop for IIH warriors, and 100% of the profits are sent to John Hopkins University, where they are doing IIH research. This is a fascinating and super fun interview I'm very excited to share with you, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. The next couple of weeks of this podcast are going to be a little bit different than usual, so I just wanted to give you a heads up about what to expect. Wednesday, April 12th, will be the release of our two-year anniversary show and the kickoff of the third season of Major Pain. Just like we did for our one-year anniversary, we'll be catching up with a few previous guests of the podcast. I've already recorded two of these interviews, so if you'd like to make sure you've listened to these people's stories so you're up to date when we talk about their updates... First, we'll be speaking with Andrew, who was first on the show December 22nd, 2021, in an episode titled Living with Mild Traumatic Brain Injury. We spoke with him about receiving a SPECT scan from the Amen Clinic, after which he was diagnosed with mild traumatic brain injury, which recontextualized his entire life story. And then we'll be speaking with Amy Stephanie Perez, who first appeared on the podcast June 8th, 2022, in an episode titled Living with Psoriatic Disease, in which we talked about psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis. Both of these recording sessions to get updates from these two were amazing. I'm really excited to share them. I have one more scheduled, but I've learned from past experiences not to announce things that have not yet been recorded, so I'll hold off on telling you who our third guest will be. 
Uh, but fingers crossed, knock on wood, that that will happen as well. And we'll have three amazing updates to share with you for our two-year anniversary show. So that means we're also going to be wrapping up our second season. And we're going to wrap up the season with an update episode from myself and Andy. We record updates once a month for our Patreon community, but it's been a while since we had an update on the main feed and so much is happening in our lives and with our health. And it felt like time to record a main feed episode and have that be a great way to wrap up season two. We're also right in the midst of moving. So everything's sort of being torn apart right now and put back together. And I'll be out of town for a week on a family trip. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to skip a week of the podcast. Um, So I'm hoping that the way things will work out is we'll have this episode this week, our season finale next week, a break for one week in the beginning of April, and then we'll be back with our season three premiere on the 12th. Technically late on the 11th, since I always release my episodes in the evenings on Tuesdays, so they will populate in your podcast feeds and be ready for you to listen on Wednesday mornings. I've got to tear down my recording setup and set it back up in the new house, so I feel like giving myself a week to make sure that all of that goes smoothly, since I'll already be out of town for a week before that is a wise thing to do. So, <laughs> so like I said, got a show this week, we'll have our season finale next week, one week off, and we'll be back with season three premiere. As I was mentioning, Andy and I record bonus episodes for our Patreon community once a month, and they're always a ton of fun. We got a great back catalog at this point of bonus episodes. So if you're interested in supporting this podcast and gaining access to all of our bonus episodes, special recognition and gifts, such as Major Pain coasters and tote bags, be sure to check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Subscriptions start at $2 per month for our supporter tier, $7 per month for our patron tier, and $25 per month for our producer tier. Each tier comes with different levels of recognition and gifts. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. To all of our Patreon community, your continued support is so incredibly appreciated. This podcast is completely funded through listener support, so you can find all the ways to support this podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com slash support. Don't forget, if you ever have questions for myself or our guests, you can email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on any episode of the podcast on our website at majorpainpodcast.com. I'll remind you, as always, that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Michelle about idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's going great. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Uh, we have a very interesting health topic to talk about. But before we get into that, let's just get to know you a little bit. So Michelle, why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, Hi, my name is Michelle. Um, I was born and raised in Arizona. Um, And I don't know, I have two cats. And I am a total nerd for video games. Ooh, (laughs) awesome. Which uh, which games do you play? Um, recently I just finally got my hands on Horizon, so mm. I'm, I've been waiting for it to be like on the, the pass instead of paying like $70 for it. So sure. I'm on excited about game, that. <laughs> on the game pass. Yeah. 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 How was it so far? Uh, I haven't opened it up yet. I just downloaded it. Oh, so cool. That's I'm, exciting. I'm excited, though. 
Yeah, that's I I love open world games, and that one caught my eye. I, I'm a Nintendo Switch guy, so you know I I have I play games on PC occasionally. Like I played uh, Jedi Fallen Order on PC because I just had to play oh, that one. Nice. Yeah. Um. But I've never had like a PlayStation or an Xbox, and there's all these games that look so fun. There are a lot of good games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's your favorite game that you've ever played? Oh gosh. I'm going to say Mass Effect. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that was a really good one. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, I haven't played that, but I did play uh, the first and second Knights of the Old Republic games and the uh, the MMO version. And the the first two were made by the same people that made Mass Effect, I believe. Yeah. 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 And they were great. And I also know that uh, Marina Sirtis, who plays Counselor Deanna Troy on Star Trek, was in Mass Effect, I believe. Was she? I think so. as one of the voice actresses. Oh, my gosh. I might I'm be wrong. Nervous. I've never played it. I'll fact I'll check to this. If I leave this in the podcast, that means it's true. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll cut it out. We'll, we'll fact check it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and we I learned something interesting today about Arizona, which is that you don't change your clocks for daylight savings time. Yeah, we're yeah. over it. We don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we had scheduled our podcast with the time change in mind. And you told me, it's like, yeah, I'm in mountain time, except unless it's daylight savings time. Exactly. Um, and so we scheduled our podcast according to mountain time, and I'm in Pacific time. And then yep. it just so happened that we scheduled it on the day of daylight savings time without yes. realizing it. <laughs> I didn't even realize. I woke up and I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure it was at, at 12, but now it says 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we learned, we learned that in a, you know, we learned that the hard way, I guess. Well, exactly. it worked out great. You figured I mean, it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was easy to to adjust, but yeah, time zones are tricky. This is the second time that I've missed uh, a daylight savings time adjustment and was ready to go on an hour early. <laughs> we need to just get rid of it. No one needs it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I agree. And we were talking about this before <laughs> we started recording about how you're saying that um, they've done studies and it can cause heart attacks for people to change their yep just i guess the stress and the adjustment of like not i guess moving back an hour yeah so interesting i mean you know our bodies are on like this circadian rhythm and exactly. disrupting that is not easy especially yes. i think as you get older that's for sure <laughs> yeah you know i'm 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 almost 40 now so I'm, you know things are things are different <laughs> <laughs> yes not not necessarily bad but you know I, I'm a, Things are harder. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a weird spot where because of my chronic illness, I was like really sick for most of my 30s. So now I'm feeling a little better and have a little more energy. So it's it's nice. Like the aging is not necessarily affecting me as much as the illness. So I, mm. whenever I feel good, I still feel very young and spry. And yeah. then when I don't, I feel like a very old man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's get into your health situation. So, Michelle, what is your major pain? Uh, my major pain is idiopathic intracranial hypertension, and it is also known as pseudotumor cerebri. That's Ooh. actually an older name uh, that they try not to use anymore because it sounds scary. Uh, but pseudo meaning false, and then tumor cerebri meaning tumor of the brain. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, recently we talked to someone who uh, for whom idiopathic intracranial hypertension was a piece of their story. Uh, and we, you know, I think we've had a couple of people on the podcast that have experienced it, but we've never really done a deep dive on it and just <laughs> kind of learn more about it and um, talk to someone 
with that being like the main major pain. So I'm excited to dive into this with you today. So for anyone who is unfamiliar, what is idiopathic intracranial hypertension? Uh, so just sort of at a basis level, um, idiopathic meaning they don't know why it happens. Uh, intracranial, intracranial meaning uh, inside the cranium. Hypertension meaning a buildup of pressure. Um, and so that pressure is a buildup of cerebral spinal fluid that is built up around your brain and causing pressure on the brain. Yeah. And what does that feel like? Uh, <laughs> it feels like I have compared it to wearing 16 headbands that you can't take off <laughs> <laughs> or those days when you have like a headband on or a baseball cap that's just way too tight. And it just kind of feels like this squeezing feeling. Mm. It's kind of like that, but you can't, you can't take the cap off. <laughs> that must be so infuriating. It's yeah. Sometimes I joke around and I'm like, I don't know who has my head in a vice, but they need to get out. Yeah. <laughs> they need to go away. <laughs> How long have you been dealing with this? When, when did this start? Uh, so I was diagnosed in 2019, um, but I have had it for, I, I believe a majority of my life. It was just undiagnosed. Wow. Really? So just diagnosed yeah. like, you know, three and a half ish years ago, four yes, years correct. ago. Um, and so you think you've had it most of your life. Do you, do you remember the first time that you've remember this experience happening? Yeah. So in sort of my twenties, um, I'm 31 now for reference. Um, so beginning of my twenties, I started having more headaches and more migraines. Um, and I would sort of have what I realize is not normal now, uh, ringing in the ears and sort of this, thumping sound it just kind of sounds like tw -tw 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 in your ears like, um, like a heartbeat almost almost like a heartbeat in your ears and i would go into doctors i would see neurologists and i was always met with well do you just have migraines we checked you don't have anything you know like you don't have any tumors you don't have anything like that you just have migraines take some tylenol deal with it hmm. so yeah. <laughs> that, that heartbeat in your ears sound, I've actually been having that recently and I talked to my doctor about it and it's called uh, pulsative tinnitus yes, where you like correct. hear your own pulse. And for me, I think it's actually a side effect of a medication. Um, so I'm, I've been like trying to pull off one medication at a time and figure out which it is. <laughs> um, and I'm still, still in that process. I think it's my anti-inflammatory, the paroxicam that I take. Because um, mm. I, I went off that recently and it got better and I went back on because I was having some symptoms and then I, and then it got worse again. So now I'm back off as of today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it can be really hard to sleep when you have this, like, it, for me, it was almost like a, like a whooshing, like, like a quiet alarm going off in my ear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, one of the things that no one ever tells you about chronic illness is that you're going to be put on so many medications that eventually when you have a new symptom you're not going to know if it's a symptom from a medication or a symptom from your chronic your current chronic illness or if it's something completely new that you need to be worried about <laughs> yep that's it that's it it's, <laughs> that is something i yeah. wish somebody had told me when i first got diagnosed yeah. <laughs> and started this journey it's so annoying that's so true um okay so early 20s you start having this pulsative tinnitus and pressure in your head headaches and you're told it's just mm -hmm. migraines had you had migraines prior to that um 
Not really. Um, and then in 2017, <laughs> so we'll decide if we want to keep this in or not. <laughs> this, is a, this is a crazy story, so maybe we'll keep it in. Um, 2017, I was in a crazy freak accident um, where I was at a, like watching a play at a local theater. And this man during intermission thought that there was a walkway next to where the balcony was, the second story balcony. He hiked his leg over the wall and fell 30 feet wow. <laughs> onto my head. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. That's horrifying. <laughs> and ever since that, <laughs> um, yeah, it got a lot worse. <laughs> the migraines, the pain, everything else. Wow. Got a lot worse after that. So, oh, wow. Oh, and that was after, <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of the timeline here. How long after your uh, early 20s was this? Uh, let's see. This was maybe a couple years in. Okay. Because I had just graduated college, or I was actually, it was finals week. Uh, of college and I had to try to take all my finals on like muscle relaxers and pain meds. Wow. Oh my God. Was not easy. <laughs> okay. So this was not the cause. This was not the root cause. This wasn't like blunt force trauma causes intracranial hypertension. You'd already had symptoms. We don't know. You don't um, know. Okay. We don't know. Um, but given that I did have like headaches and migraines before, I mean, who knows? Yeah. But the, se the severity turned up significantly. Yes, it did. Wow. So a man fell on your head. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> that I think the joke that like they they should have started like singing and dancing to like the weather girls because it was raining men. <laughs> <laughs> um wow, that's so, so you this is a, a mystery that will never be solved. Like maybe yeah, it was not. maybe it was just headaches, just migraines, uh, and then evolved into um intracranial hypertension, or maybe you had intracranial hypertension. And this trauma caused it to get worse. There's no way to know, really. Yeah. What Do you know anything about uh, the general causes of intracranial hypertension? You know, is it often, does it often happen around uh, trauma or is it like, you know, related to other chronic illnesses or does it just happen? We don't know why. Yeah. So there's, uh, so there's a few things. So mine is idiopathic, um, meaning we don't know why. Um, there are um, intracranial hypertension, there are reasons for that sometimes. Um, one of them can be like blunt trauma to the head, um, concussions, things like that. Um, one of the other ones is Chiari malformation. Mm -hmm. Um, that can cause, uh, intracranial hypertension. Um, and that's essentially, from what I understand, I don't have it, um, but from what I understand, it is a bone malformation at the base of your skull, mm -hmm. um, and part of your brain is sort of squished out of your skull, as opposed to sort of keeping it up in there. Right, right, yeah. Another reason for intracranial hypertension um, could be the stenosis of veins and arteries in your brain. What is, um, what is stenosis? So a stenosis is uh, basically just like a pinching or narrowing. Okay. Um, and that can be in anything. Um, but I, um, so like I went in and they did a venogram 
um, to check for stenosis. So basically they do like a, a dye (laughs) and they like inject you with the dye. And as you're in the MRI machine, um, and it kind of goes all the way up and through your brain and they can kind of see exactly where the veins are, if there's any pinching or narrowing. Um, but if there is narrowing that can cause intracranial hypertension. Um, and that's where you find a lot of people who have intracranial hypertension will get stents put in. Okay. And the stent will like keep the, keep those veins open. Yeah. Basically they go in surgically, usually through a big artery, either like, um, in your calf or somewhere else. Um, and yeah, it's basically like a mesh, um, almost like a, like a hose, if you will, (laughs) like a cylindrical thing. And it just sort of keeps the vein open Yeah, so that it can rush through. So if you're idiopathic, they obviously didn't find anything. Exactly. Yeah. with the idiopathic, it's there's nothing on my MRI. Um, I don't have Chiari. And I don't have any stenosis, so they're not sure why it's happening. How do they actually diagnose IIH? Um, so there's a couple things. Um, in my case, my journey, um, I started having visual disturbances. So I started having spots in my vision. Mm. Um and for me, it was, it looked like, and I, I realize some people don't have this at all, um, <laughs> but when someone sort of shines a bright light at you, or if someone takes a picture of you and you can kind of have, you can see that afterburn mm-hmm. when you blink, it looks like that, but no one flashed a light at me. And so it would sort of track in my eyes and that started happening and I had had LASIK done, I don't know, a couple of years back. So I was like, shoot, okay, I should really go in and, and get my eyes checked. And I went in and they dilated my eyes and they checked and they, <laughs> they said, your optic nerves are swollen mm. and you need to go to the emergency room right now. Wow. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, But yeah, so I was diagnosed with what's called papilledema, which is the swelling of your optic nerve. Um, And typically that only happens when you have high pressure in the brain. So they were obviously worried about things like hydrocephalus, meningitis, that sort of thing. So I got, yeah, so I got my spinal tap done um, and they checked opening pressure which is measuring how much pressure is in the brain and in your spinal column. Mm -hmm. And they realized that it was very high. And that's essentially how I was diagnosed. Wow. And and that was, remind me, what year was that? 2019. 2019. So man falls on your head in 2017. And then in Mm -hmm. 2019, you're diagnosed with intracranial hypertension. Tell me more about this man falling on your head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you remember of that moment? Were you just like sitting in your seat and then you black out or do you no, suddenly so, have a man in your lap or like what, yeah, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself because it was intermission. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll get up and like get a snack or use the restroom or something real quick. And then I was like, no, like it's going to be really crowded. So I'll just wait. I should have gotten up. Uh. <laughs> I always get up. 
never sit under balconies. Um, and so, yeah, he fell. And initially I thought that the walls were collapsing. Like I didn't know what was happening. Um, and then here's this guy in my lap and I look up and there's people sort of poking their heads like over the wall, like, like, Oh my gosh, you know? And he actually, he tried to stand up actually. And I was like, you do not move. Like, yeah. Yeah, was he okay? (laughs) He was, I, I, with HIPAA, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Mm. but I broke his fall. So, you know, you're welcome. (laughs) If you ever hear this, you are welcome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah. So, I mean, we had, they were metal chairs and the metal chairs broke beneath us. Um, cause essentially he fell in sort of a seated position. If you think of somebody like sitting in a chair, like that's how he fell. And his torso fell on the left side of my head and my shoulder. And every doctor told me like, yeah, he really rattled your head, but if he was just an inch or two over, he would have snapped your neck. Wow. And I was like, wow, okay, great. <laughs> it's like time to start checking off the bucket list because that was way too close. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. So, I've never yeah. heard anything like that before. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like. It was on the news. You can Google it. <laughs> this sounds like some sort of like manufactured meat cute for a sitcom or something. <laughs> really? I mean, although that that would be a weird relationship where you've developed this <laughs> that you know, is true. Health, chronic health condition because he falls on your head. Um, that is true. That is totally wild. So <laughs> you don't. I mean, it sounds like you don't have a ongoing relationship with this person. No, You're not in touch. <laughs> no, I was. No, I'm currently married, and he's probably fifty years older than me. So. <laughs> oh wow! I hope he's okay. That's horrifying. Yeah. And he just, he just swung his leg over and went straight down. Yeah. I mean, the way that it's set up, um, there's sort of the front of the balcony, which, you know, there's the bars and everything. It's pretty clear that you can't go that way. Um, but, you know, praise Frank Lloyd Wright and his ingenuity, <laughs> sarcasm here. Um, <laughs> he decided it would be a great idea to have a balcony that just has a giant I-beam down it down the middle and there's nothing on either side of the balcony it's just a free hanging balcony Mm. um so he was on the very back side of the balcony and there's really just like a pony wall and over the pony wall is you know 30 feet of nothingness until you hit the ground yeah so i think he was straddling the wall sort of maybe feeling for the ground that wasn't there Mm mm-hmm and I think that's maybe when he lost his balance and fell over. Yeah. So did you like need to go to the emergency room or? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I was way too out of it to tell them not to take me to like the worst hospital in Arizona. I'm not going to name names, um, <laughs> but they didn't even do a head scan. Um, they were just kind of like, yeah, nothing looks broken. Like, you can go home. And after I went back home, I had this raging migraine. I felt nauseous and all I wanted to do was sleep. And my husband, like boyfriend at the time was, he was like, absolutely not. Like we need to go to another hospital and get you properly evaluated. And they were like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, 
they were, I guess they were like, you know, concussions are hard to, to diagnose, which I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, but they were basically like, well, you know, some guy fell in your head from 30 feet up. You're, you probably have a concussion. <laughs> like all those symptoms match up. So, yeah. And it sounds like you did have a concussion. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, I, I remember this from a Star Trek episode. When you have a concussion, you should not go to sleep. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know how true that is, but I don't know. I, I, I would say that if you think you have a concussion, go to the emergency room and let them tell you yeah, <laughs> one way totally. or another. Absolutely. So. Wow. And how long was the recovery from that? Um, so I did get a, an AC joint separation, which is the joint between your collarbone and your shoulder. Um, and that took a while that took like, even to this day, uh, it causes issues because it's just enough of a separation that it hurts pretty bad mm. most of the time. Um, but not enough that doctors are willing to do anything about it. So interesting. What, what could they do if they were willing? Um, I guess there's like surgery that they can do. Um, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if they add cushioning or what, the, I'm not sure what they do. Hmm. Um, cause yeah, they wouldn't even talk to me about it. They were like, Nope, it's not bad enough. See ya. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but for you, it's, you know, you live with it every day and that's frustrating. Yeah. Usually physical therapy. Um, I was in physical therapy for a while. And if it starts acting up again, um, I just start doing some of my physical therapy again mm. and re-strengthen that joint. And okay. that usually helps. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you have a, a protocol in place that is helpful. Yeah. Uh, and then when did you notice that your headache symptoms had gotten worse? That's a very good question. Part of um, IAH is you have terrible memory. So. Mm. I couldn't confidently tell you <laughs> yeah. when that was. Yeah, I would assume just, you know, over the over the next few months, you start to realize that you're just having headaches all the time. Pretty much. Um, and it wasn't until I want to say 20, yeah, probably 2018 that I finally was, you know, like most people with chronic illness who are undiagnosed, you get to a point where you have to become your own advocate absolutely because nobody else is doing it for you and you know you kind of have to be that forceful jerk person that tells doctors like look i think that there's something more like i need you to <laughs> i need you to run these tests you know and that's a lot of what i do now um on like TikTok and places like that is reach out to people or answer people and let them know like here are the tips and tricks that i learned on how you can navigate the healthcare system because no one tells you how <laughs> to do that that's so true that's so absolutely true man this is a crazy story okay so <laughs> yeah. you a man falls on your head a couple years later you go to have your eyes checked discover your optic nerve is swel swollen that sends you to the emergency room they do a spinal tap and confirm that there is too much pressure in your in your spinal column, basically. Um, yes. And they also did a CT and MRI. Okay. Um, so in order to get the intracranial hypertension uh, diagnosis, you have to have a negative CT MRI. 
mm. showing that there's no growth or actual tumor present. Okay. Yeah. And I remember last time we talked about IIH that there was something about how it's like, it's like having a tumor, but there's no tumor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically uh, you have all of the symptoms of a brain tumor, hmm. um, but no solid tumor is present. Yeah. Um, and I like to tell people that it's essentially a liquid brain tumor. Um, you have a buildup of fluid around your brain that's pushing on your brain just like a solid tumor would. Um, and, you know, it causes headaches, migraine, tinnitus. Um, one of the big, big ones is the blind spots and temporary blindness. So people who have idiopathic or just even just intracranial hypertension are very high risk of losing their vision. Wow. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, the, there's so many symptoms. I mean, there's uh, neck and shoulder pain, um, twitching, absence seizures, absence attacks, um, the papilledema, which we mentioned earlier, um, and just general fatigue. Yeah. And what about brain fog? And brain fog, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brain fog and memory loss. <laughs> As I forget to mention that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. So what how did it feel to get this diagnosis? Uh, was it terrifying? Was it validating? It's both. I mean, as I think a lot of people with chronic illness have felt before, it's very bittersweet. Um, you know, you hear people that that ask and they're you know, they're like, why are you so happy that you got a diagnosis? And you're like, I have answers now. Yeah. Like, like, I'm not happy that I have this, but now I have answers and there's potential for either getting better or managing this condition to a point where I can actually potentially start living my life again. Yeah. So it's very bittersweet. Were they able to provide you with any sort of help after getting this diagnosis? Uh, in the ER, not really. <laughs> in the ER, um, they gave me, they started me on Diamox, which is usually the go-to. There's Diamox and Topiramate um, are the two main medications that they give people with intracranial hypertension. Um, I tried Topiramate initially and it gave me such bad restless leg syndrome, I couldn't handle it. Um, but Diamox is not much better. You have tingling and numbness in your hands all the time. There's a handful of side effects. And it's almost like waking up every day. You have, you picture like a bundle of, picture a bunch of symptoms in a hat. And every day you get to pick one or two of them. You never know which one it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you kind of get to pick that day, like which one it's going to be. And then, you know, there are of course some days where you might not have any, or some days where you dump out the whole hat and you get every single symptom that day. Wow. And what, what is the, do you know anything about the mechanism of how this helps with the intracranial hypertension, this medication? Yeah. So it essentially lowers your cerebral spinal fluid. Oh, wow. um, some okay. people, some people say it's a, a diuretic, but I feel like that's, unless you really understand the science behind it, people are like, oh, so it's a water pill. And I'm like, eh, yes and no, like it is, but it's not in the way that like, oh, it's just one of those pills where 
you know, people take water pills for weight loss sometimes and they're just peeing a lot. And I'm like, no, this is literally reducing your spinal fluid. And mm -hmm. if you're not rehydrating, you're going to have absence seizures. You're going to have numbness and tingling. You're going to have twitching. Like it's more than just a water pill. So is there the danger of reducing it too much? Is it like a hard thing to keep in balance? Yeah. So um, you can get low pressure headaches as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I've um, had that before. Well, I had a spinal yeah. tap and I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast, but I had a spinal tap and I had a, a leak, a fluid leak. So I had mm -hmm. a low pressure headache and had to go in for a blood patch. And it was probably the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Yep. Exa yeah. That's exactly what we try to avoid. Yeah. Um, but I hear a high pressure headache actually feels similar to a low pressure headache. It can. Um, it's, it's pretty similar. The only difference I would say is low pressure when you lay down, um, it's, it's better. Mm. And it's when you sit up that you feel like you're going to die. Um, with high pressure, it's the opposite. Laying down hurts like crazy. So, yeah, that you brought back a memory. I think I just spent days lying down until it's we could, just like a week in bed. Yeah. Yeah. Until we could get me back into the hospital. Yeah. Fascinating. That's such a frustrating trade off that you have medication that can help, uh, but it has all these side effects. Are you still taking this medication? Yes. So, yeah. this is like an indefinite, you just need to take this medication. Uh, for your whole life to keep that level of spinal fluid in a manageable place? Yeah. Um, the only treatments are this medication. Um, the other one is weight loss, which is very tricky. Um, doctors will oftentimes say like, oh, all you need to do is weight loss. And I will say for me, some weight loss helped with papilledema um, with my eyes, but the problem is it does not work for everybody. Yeah. And saying that like, oh, you just need to lose weight is not, <laughs> that is not for everybody. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's too much, um, I don't know, there's, there's just weird feelings around that with doctors. I talk to people all the time who have health conditions where medication can change their weight. Um, you know, hormone changes can change your weight. And if you're in a position where there's something outside of your control and then a doctor telling you, Oh, we'll just lose the weight, but you, but there really is no, you know, available, practical, easy way to do that. And doctors yes. just kind of talk about it. Like it's such an easy thing to do, but it just gave me a lot of empathy for people who are in this position where doctors are telling them to lose weight, but it's really not a practical solution at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. I recently had this discussion um, with several of my doctors um, because they're like, well, how is the weight loss going? And I was like, well, you know, I, <laughs> I have, I also have Crohn's. So I was trying to ask them, I was like, you know, I'm trying to figure out right now because my Crohn's has been not well managed. Um, I'm on medication and everything, but it's, it's still, I'm at the point where any kind of high fiber, any kind of vegetable, any kind of um, salad. <laughs> like I haven't had salad in so long, I miss it, but it, there's no way it'll send me into a flare. Mm. And so I tell them, I'm like, I, what am I supposed to do? I was like, what am I supposed to eat? Because my GI tells me you need to be eating proteins and then pretty dense foods like rice, like plain potatoes, things like that but that's not helping with my weight loss, Yeah, you know? And then 
I am also getting a workup done for clots, which really, yeah. <laughs> so I have a doctor that's telling me, you know, when you're having weird symptoms, I need you to eat salty things. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but I also have, you know, idiopathic intracranial hypertension. If I have too much salt, that increases my pressure. So, and I told them, they were like, well, you need to, you know, you need to just like do things at home and cook at home. And when I, it was really funny. I found a uh, nutritionist and a dietitian. Um, and I asked them, I was like, you know, what, what kind of things can I have that are kind of grab and go that are still healthy? And they were like, well, you know, there's these certain like frozen foods and I was like, well, I can't have too many frozen foods because they're very high in sodium and that increases my pressure with my IIH. And they were like, okay, well, you know, meal prep and things like that. And I was like, I have chronic illness and you're talking about <laughs> doing hours of prep work. I was like, there's no way I'm going to have energy for that. And the other issue with IH, sometimes I lose vision. Sometimes I can't feel my hands. Sometimes I have no strength in my hands. I was like, so I'm asking you the days which are more of those days than not. What can I do when I can't hold a knife and I can't see the pan? How am I supposed to cook for myself? What am I supposed to eat? I was like, because I also can't have salad again because of the, the crumbs. And they honestly looked at me and said, I have no idea. Yeah. And I'm like, great. <laughs> this is a perfect illustration of the frustration of chronic illness, of having multiple doctors telling you conflicting things and then sort of blaming you when you can't do what they are asking because your other doctors telling you not to. Exactly. And there's no you know, coming together of all of these doctors to talk through things and figure out a solution for you. You have to do that because yeah. you have to advocate for yourself. Cause like you said, no one else will. Um, yeah. And people are put in impossible situations all the time like this. And this is a, a really frustrating example of one, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had periods of, of time where like my functionality was so low that I really couldn't cook for myself. And there was like, lots of, you know, microwavable foods and ordering foods. And recently I learned that I might have mast cell activation syndrome and to have a low histamine diet, I can't have any of that, you know? Yeah. I like, I have to prepare everything for myself. Um, and I have been thinking about this recently because like, I've been feeling so much better that I've been able to do that. And it's like, this really worked out because if I wasn't seeing this benefit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this. It's like so much work. And I've, I've found ways to do it that are easier. You know, I've started baking a lot of like one pan meals. Yeah. Know, throw like a piece of chicken and a bunch of vegetables, some yeah. like seasoning into a pan, throw it in the oven for 40 minutes. And it's, you got a, you got a meal ready to go. So there's like, you know, 10 minutes of prep time, 40 minutes of waiting. Um, and that's mm -hmm. relatively doable. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't have any like grab and go options. You know, yeah. oatmeal is the, is the closest one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I also like, if I, I'm trying to imagine, you know, having Crohn's on top of that, you know, it would feel so impossible. There are things that are sort of at odds with each other in your own body and that you're trying to balance. 
So, yeah. So, you, it sounds like you have other things going on that are complicating matters, making it yeah. very difficult to find, you know, find homeostasis. Yeah, that's for sure. How does that feel? Are you frustrated by that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it would be a lie to say that you weren't. Um, but I think it's, it's just kind of figuring out day by day um, and learning sort of, in other words, life hacks of how to how to cope yeah you know yeah. and i think that's that's the hardest thing um you know for anyone listening that has just had a new diagnosis you know there's going to be a learning curve there's gonna be days where you're just like i can't do this thing like i'm so angry <laughs> you know but you're gonna find ways around it you know it's it might not look pretty like it might be like I recently learned that opening jars is something I can't do. And instead of going out and buying or trying to find those little grippy thingies, I use an oven mitt that has the grippy thingies on it. Hmm. <laughs> so it's just little random things, um, you know, and finding like support groups of people who have been in their journey longer where you can ask questions and be like, Hey, what do you guys do for X, Y, and Z? Cause this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, that helps a lot. And it sounds like what you need is a support group for people with IIH and Crohn's. It's like, yeah. where, where are you going to find that? Like, this is exactly. a unique There's got to be a cross-section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure other people exist. And hopefully, they're listening to the podcast. Send us an email. Let us know yeah. if you figured this diet stuff out. Because it sounds like this is a work in progress. Yes, it very much is. Yeah. So you said you just found out you had Crohn's. Are you kind of in the process of trying to find medication right now to manage it? Uh, so, yeah, I was diagnosed with Crohn's last year. Um, and initially they put me on Humira and it went really well. Like the first couple months, I mean, getting the medication and paying for it, the whole thing was awful. Um, pro tip, uh, most of those big medications, if you go straight to the manufacturer, you can get them for free. What? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> they have these sort of like year worth of, I don't know what they're called. They're basically like a code that you can get um, because they want you to sample them and they want you to be on them so that you have a dependence on them probably to get them for but free that's for a whole nother story like a limited <laughs> time yeah for usually for a limited time okay. um i will see because my year is coming up so i will i will keep you informed on how i can navigate that system yeah um but yeah for at least for a year um sometimes more most of these big medications you can go straight to the source straight to the manufacturer and get at least a year's worth free hmm. um so I was on the Humera for a couple months and felt fantastic. I was like, this is how normal people feel all the time. Like, <laughs> I was running around. I felt great. And then I don't know what happened. It, it went downhill. Like it just, I was having flares several times a week. Um, it just, it went back to how it was before I was on the Humera. And so now I'm on Humera um, weekly. And I'm also on like four other GI medications on top of it. Yeah. So we will see, um, still in the beginning process of, you know, it takes, it takes a couple months for everything to sort of 
actually start working. So fingers yeah. crossed. That's an important thing to keep in mind. You know, for anyone, I, I'm assuming you had GI issues for a long time before you got this diagnosis. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't realize actually um, that. So I thought for a long time that my Crohn's was endometriosis. Really? Yeah, um, because I thought that, you know, there were days where I would be feeling completely fine and then i would get sort of this cramping awful feeling in my stomach and i would get i would feel faint and flushed and i would get chills all over my body and yeah like i thought i was just in pain from endometriosis because it was in my lower intestine mm -hmm. and you know <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about it and, you know, one of the other things that nobody ever talks about with Crohn's is that it's not always diarrhea. Sometimes it's constipation. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you always see the commercials of like people running to the bathroom because, you know, they're having diarrhea and they're like, it's just, that's not the case. Like sometimes it is, but I just, I wish somebody had told me like, <laughs> if you're walking around and you have sharp pain in your stomach and you feel like you're going to pass out and you feel flushed and you have, you know, goosebumps all over your body, that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and every time you get a diagnosis, that can often be like the beginning of a new journey. Like getting yeah. the diagnosis is a journey in itself, but just getting the diagnosis is not the answer oftentimes. Like there's this yeah. process of trying different medications, trying to figure out what works. Um, we had a great episode recently with Douglas who has Crohn's and Crohn's, yeah. yeah. And he learned about um, Chinese medicine, became a Chinese medicine practitioner and found some stuff there that helped him. Uh, but everyone's journey is unique and individual. Sometimes like the medication that works for one person won't work for another. You can have the same disease and have opposite symptoms. Sometimes it's just so complicated. So yeah. Yeah. I wish you luck in that journey. It sounds like that is a uh, work in progress. Um, yeah. But sticking to it and and finding a solution is possible. You know, it's just you got to keep trying different things. But this this complication with the IIH and the diets not meshing is really is really frustrating and really complicated. Um, how has this all changed your life? You know, you mentioned that you were dating the person that you've now married since this mm -hmm. started. Um, how has this affected your life and your relationships? Um, so as far as just life goes, um, so I graduated with an engineering degree, um, and I was working for probably about a year and a half. I tried to work through, um, after the guy fell on me <laughs> <laughs> up until, you know, probably around 2019. Um, and then it got to the point where I was having 10 out of 10 migraines about probably once a week. Um, and then just more level four, level five migraines every day. Um, and it became too much. Like I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Um, and so that's another thing that I, I try to tell people, um, especially people with chronic illness is that it is okay to grieve the person that you thought you were going to be mm. and it is okay to grieve that that past self or even that future self that you thought was going to happen you know because everything sort of got flipped on its head you know for me i thought it was going to be engineering um i also am a huge conservation person um 
I volunteered at Owl and Rout Raptor shelter, like shelters, um, different aquariums, like pretty much anything I could get my hands on. And I really wanted to do sustainability and conservation work. And I had to realize that like, I can't be out in the field <laughs> doing that kind of work. You know, it's just my body can't handle that. So until things got a little bit more under control, um, you just kind of have to pivot. You know, you kind of have to find maybe there's volunteer roles that are remote jobs that you can do um, that are just as impactful. And they're maybe not quite what you expected, not really what you had planned, but you find ways around it and it's, it's still okay to be sad about it. Mm -hmm. When did you start doing advocacy work online? Um, gosh, when did I start TikTok? <laughs> so I think probably 2019, um, I kind of started my TikTok as sort of a shout into the void and like, you know, if I can help even just one person, to go through getting a diagnosis or, you know, not having to go through the same crap that I went through, then it's going to be worth it. And lo and behold, I have found a whole community of people with IH and, you know, we, we talk a lot. Um, we support each other. And a lot of times, like I've made it very clear in all of my videos that if you have questions, if you just need to vent, I am here. So, you know, I get people that are commenting and people that come to me and ask, you know, like, I'm trying to get this one procedure done, but my doctor is saying no. And I let them know, like, here's what you do. <laughs> you know, like, you need to tell them that you need to write it in you want it to be written in the doctor's notes that the doctor is denying this Yeah, and call your insurance and see if insurance will approve it, you know, because if insurance is approving it, if everyone else is approving it, but the doctor doesn't want to do it, you need to have written down that they're the ones denying this very simple blood test procedure, whatever it may be. Yeah. And more often than not, the doctor is like, hmm, I don't really want to have that kind of liability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they do the test. Yeah. And then there are so, I have so many messages <laughs> of people that do this. And then they text me back and they're like, I just got my diagnosis. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's and awesome. again, it's a bittersweet thing, but just helping people navigate that and helping people know their rights as a patient because people, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So, what, what has this taught you this whole experience? Oh man, probably patience. Um, and I think the biggest one that I've been noticing lately is Initially, it felt very us versus them. It felt very chronic illness patients versus doctors. And it can't be that way. 
like we need to work together yeah um you know people need to realize that most especially like primary care physicians they are understaffed they are told by administration most of the time you need to have thousands of patients and we only want you talking to them for 10 15 minutes at a time yeah they a lot of times no longer have a say in some of this stuff and we need to recognize that if you have one person <laughs> that is exhausted and in pain and then you know not getting the answers that they want and then on the other hand you have doctors especially er doctors that are overwhelmed overworked burnt out and you put these two people in a room together and try to get them to talk to each other <laughs> it's not gonna go well that's a great point yeah you know and so there's there's gonna be like there's gonna be issues and so i think i think we just need to realize that like we're not enemies like we need to work together yeah that's so important and i it, you know i think about that on this podcast sometimes it's easy to cast doctors in a bad light because yeah. so many of us have so much medical trauma around the way we've been treated by doctors. But yes. there are so many good doctors out there and so many people go into healthcare because they want to help people. And a lot of them, like that's still what they want is just to help people. And the system yeah. itself can make that really difficult. Doctors can get burned out. Doctors don't have enough time to talk to individual people sometimes, but but there are good relationships to be had. There are great doctors out there. And yes, there are doctors out there who don't treat us like people. And yeah. <laughs> hopefully we can just, you know, fire them, move on to the next person and try again. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, chronic illness is a spectrum and so are doctors. Like the care that you're going to receive is also a spectrum for sure. Exactly. And it's, it's trying to maintain that patience. I guess that's, that's the one thing that I've learned is trying to take a deep breath when i'm a 10 out of 10 pain and i go to the emergency room and doctors are like googling my condition yeah it's hard for me to be like oh god yeah. <laughs> no but then you know i think about it for a second in my insane calm mind and i'm like how how would they know there's one in every 100,000 people have this condition. Mm. Doctors are supposed to memorize a million things. They've probably been working for 24 hours. And so, yeah, like I would hope that they would Google it and verify. Yeah. I would hope that they would, you know, have the confidence to say, you know what? I don't know a lot about this. I'm going to, I'm going to do some research. You know, and then on the flip side, I need doctors to also recognize that when we come in and you might not know a lot about a condition, we need you to trust us when it comes to how our treatment is handled, because we've been there. We know what works for us. Yeah. Great points. Well, I have one more question for you. Um, so if you could address someone else who's had a man fall on their head. <laughs> <laughs> or someone else who maybe has just had similar head trauma and is now having constant headaches, um, searching for a diagnosis, maybe just having been diagnosed with uh, 
endocranial hypertension, idiopathic or otherwise, with everything you've learned along this journey, is there any advice that you could give to someone who's just beginning theirs? Yes. Um, I actually made a list that I send out to anyone that reaches out to me. Mm. Um, and it's a list of things that you need to do um, if you were just recently diagnosed. If you haven't been diagnosed yet um, and you honestly think that IAH is the cause, um, I would say really the only, unfortunately, the only way to get that diagnosis is through a spinal tap. And those suck. Yeah. Um, those can lead to, you know, the low pressure headaches and that sort of thing. Um, but that's, you, you'll know, <laughs> you know, if you go in. And also keep in mind that your cerebral spinal fluid, the pressure changes all the time, hour by hour, day by day. So if you go in one day and, you know, it comes back that it's within a normal range, maybe slightly elevated, and you're still having, you know, visual disturbances, you're still having, you know, twitching, you're still having like neck pain, all of these symptoms, it might be worth pushing for another lumbar puncture. Mm. And again, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I just, these are some of the things that I have seen personally. Um, but as far as someone who is diagnosed, the number one thing, the very first thing that you need to do is get yourself a neuro ophthalmologist and this is different than regular ophthalmologist um if you don't have one of those please get that too <laughs> because neuro ophthalmologists can be hard to find and they can be hard to get into um, but they specialize in the nerves in your eyes and that includes the uh yeah the optic nerve um and since we are at such high risk of vision loss it is very, very important that you are going in and getting your eyes checked. Wow, great tips. Thank you so much. Uh, Michelle, you've done an awesome job today. This is such, such an interesting story. Um, lots of really great information in there and things that you've learned along the way. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Please tell us where people can go to connect with you online to check out your advocacy or if there's anyone else who has um, IIH and they're looking for someone to talk to, where can we find you? Yeah, so um, I am mostly on TikTok right now, um, but I am also on Instagram and Facebook, uh, just under IIH Warriors. Um, and if you are looking, we do also have a IIH Warriors Etsy shop. Um, and I do all of the things there. Uh, we make stickers, t-shirts, that sort of thing. And 100% of the profits that I make from that store, I send to Johns Hopkins University where they are doing IIH research. Um, so definitely check that out if you want to donate to the cause or get some IIH merch and represent, let me know. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that you're doing that. Um, well, I'll tag you on TikTok and Instagram when this podcast goes up, if people want a quick and easy way to find you. And thank you again for your time, for sharing your story. You did such a great job today. I'm very thank excited you. to share this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. 
Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Major Pain podcast.